You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie, and we are talking about episode five of season two of Orphan Black, which I'm going to pronounce correctly. It was called Ipsa Scientia Potestist Est. We are just talking about it, talking about the show up through this episode. There are no spoilers for future episodes in this episode of the podcast. Because then we would be seeing into the future. Yes. From when we are recording them. Yes. This is a quick note from the editing room. We had some issues with our audio this week. You'll hear about 10 minutes in, there's some static noise that develops on Chris's side. We're not entirely sure what caused this. Our audio samples were fine, and obviously the first 10 minutes sounded okay. So we're we're very sorry that our audio quality is not as good as it usually is this week, but we wanted to go ahead and get the episode out to you as quickly as we could. So apologize again that our quality is not up to our usual standard, and we will fix this issue in the future. And I gotta say, this was probably my favorite episode of the season so far. It was pretty damn good. And I feel we should clarify, somebody asked us on Twitter to check if we were actually enjoying the season. We are. We are really enjoying the season. Uh, we are freaking out because we are enjoying the season so much. Yes. we Because we are so invested, we worry. But somebody, I think, said something to the effect of, are you actually enjoying it? Because you just seem very stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> stressed out in a good way. Yes. Yes. We're, we're stressed out because we're invested. I think both Chris and I tend to be a little on the neurotic side. So <laughs> this is how we this is how we engage with things. <laughs> Again, like the fact that we're obsessing enough to warrant having a podcast about the thing means that we really, really love it. I think, right? <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. So the name for this week's episode is another quote from Francis Bacon. It's from a different work of his. It's from an essay called Take It Away, Chris. <laughs> and I apologize to anybody who has recently taken Latin. My Latin's kind of rusty. Meditationis sacrae, I guess. I don't know. That's our best bet. And the phrase uh, translates to knowledge itself is power. Apparently, often the, the phrase knowledge is power is credited to Bacon, but he actually did not say that this this phrase is what he said and it's knowledge itself is power and this phrase is really resonating for me in regards to rachel's storyline this week how about you yes because there is that whole element of i think they finally confirmed that yes she's been self-aware of being a clone since she was a child and of course she's risen to a position of power higher than leaky in dyad so or at least Seemingly higher than leaky, because stuff gets complicated, as stuff does on this show. So let's let's talk about Sarah and Helena first, because if for me, I think Helena was really the star of this episode. She was pretty great. She is. She's great. And I love her. <laughs> she terrifies me, but I love her. Yes. Because last episode, you know, we end on this beautiful scene between Sarah and Helena with the hug in the shower, and Helena just so vulnerable. And we get some more kind of recovering and building Sarah and Helena's relationship in this episode and, and more like talking about the fact that Sarah did shoot her. Yes, Sarah did shoot her. <laughs> and I, I'm glad that they're actually addressing it. I mean, I didn't think they wouldn't necessarily, but you kind of always worry how much stuff is going to get glossed over when stuff like this happens. And when I say stuff like this, I mean Helena not actually being dead. Right. But, you know, and it, it was interesting this episode for me because Sarah has been the main vehicle 
for the, the these first few episodes, as she tends to be. But this episode, I feel like, especially in the beginning, she took more of a backseat role. Right. And actually, thinking about it now, that's sort of what happened in the first season, too, is it? Except that started with episode six, really, where Sarah became less of the primary figure in the show. I mean, she still was, but they started featuring the other characters more. So it's not unexpected that they're doing it, but I guess it's still a little surprising. Yeah, it's always interesting when they get to that that shift. Like, she still has a big part in this episode, for sure. And her, her relationship with Helena is really important to this episode. But, you know, she's kind of just going and talking to Kira and not really being around for a good chunk of the, of the first part of the episode, at least. Right. And sort of taking meetings with people and that sort of thing is <laughs> sort of yeah. what Sarah's up to this episode. Yeah. But she's had a busy couple episodes. She so had. She's she's getting she's a rest. A break. Yeah, she's getting a rest this uh, a rest this week, as opposed to arrested like Felix. Like Felix. Oh, sadness. But I think we see with with Sarah when she contacts Kira and Cal pretty early in the episode. We've where we we really see a shift in the relationship between Kira and Sarah. Oh, it hurts! It yeah. hurts so much. Yeah. Yeah, because Kira's not a monkey anymore. She's, She's a, leopard. a leopard. And it is a cute hat. It's a very cute hat. Good job, Cal. And, but, you know, and you can talk to Daddy now, and I run away. So definitely, definitely Kira is getting upset with Sarah for being so absent and yet telling her, I'm going to be there for you. And while I don't think Sarah's being negligent of Kira, Kira's seven. She doesn't understand everything that's going on, and I completely understand why Kira's feeling you know, left out in the rain. Well, even aside from being seven, because, I mean, this is not unlike what Felix said in, was it 203? Where Felix was like, there's no place for me here. And he got kind of upset with Sarah too. And so now it's coming from Kira. And I, I feel like this is probably less about this particular instance than it is about the 10 months that Sarah was gone before. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, obviously, this situation is sort of justified for Sarah to not be with Kira right now, because there is stuff going on, mm-hmm. and it's clearly not safe. Mm-hmm. So I, I see where Sarah's coming from, and I don't know that Kira necessarily doesn't know. I mean, who can tell? Because it's Kira. <laughs> she might know, she might not know. I don't know. But just the fact that it's it's part of a larger pattern of behavior. And even though, obviously, things with Sarah have changed since then, obviously, there's going to be some resentment built up there, I think. And I think it, it also is coming from the fact that she's been with Cal these past few days, and this is her father who she just met, and he's really being a more traditional nurturing figure to her than probably Sarah has ever been, from what we get the sense of. Yeah, now that you mention it, that's probably true. Yeah. So it's kind of like, he just met me, and he's getting it. Why and can't you get this, Mom? And he's consistently stayed with her this entire time that Sarah's been off. Because, yeah. really, I'm trying to think now, even in the first season, did Sarah ever spend that much continuous time with Kira? Not all that much. We see her spending more time with her toward the end of the season, hanging when out at Mrs. S's. Kira is horribly, horribly injured. Right. And unconscious through most of it. Right. We see them, like, playing piano together in, I think, in Entangled Bank. And so she was spending more time with Kira, but Kira was still very much living with Mrs. S. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. So 
she, I, I, she's, it's been a long time since she's lived with Sarah the way that she's been living with Cal, most mm-hmm. likely. So it would seem. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough to see. Poor, Ki- but I, I understand where sort of Kira's coming from. Right. But Cal and Kira, they're pretty darn cute together. They are. They're super, super cute together. And it's sort of interesting watching Cal see how, how Kira is, how quick on her feet she is and, you know, Pulling out the gas mask? Why does Cal have a gas mask? Well, that's a good question. That's an excellent question. Because we we see he has not only a gas mask, but he has a gun, a pretty good stash of cash, and, and fake, fake IDs. Because mm-hmm. we, we, as we have been doing, we, we re-watched the previous episode before this, tonight's episode aired, and we were both sort of kind of puzzling at the line where he says, oh, the the RV isn't registered in my name. And it's like, okay, whose? Is it somebody else's? But it seems to just be a false identity that he has set up and ready to go. That's certainly what it seems like. Yeah. Is he one of those, like, apocalypse prepper guys? That is kind of what the gas mask might hint, but maybe he's some sort of corporate terrorist type. Oh. Because he does have, it seems, and they even say it when when Paul is talking to Rachel that he is anti-corporate sentiments. That's true, they did say that. Mm -hmm. And I registered that, but for some reason my brain didn't go the terrorism route. Yeah. I have no firm evidence, but... It's possible. It's possible. As with so many things on this show, it's possible. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like Sarah and Helena's storylines are are mostly pretty interconnected in this this episode. We, We see her... We see Sarah bringing Helena back to Felix's and sort of getting her cleaned up. And Felix takes Helena over to Arts at Sarah's behest. And I loved, loved, loved. Well, I loved Helena and Felix. I, I mean, Felix plus anybody is great, but you know, it was fantastic getting to see him and Helena interact. I think what's great about that relationship is usually we kind of see Felix throwing off the other characters, but I think Felix is thrown off by Helena. Oh yeah, and it's kind of great. Yeah. Because she hisses at him. She does. <laughs> she hisses at him when he mentions a Ukrainian folk costume. <laughs> oh, Helena. <laughs> and and I was really surprised that Felix let her borrow his badass coat. I actually really love that coat. And his helmet. And <laughs> Which she wore backwards. Which she wore backwards. <laughs> and I, was, I was actually thinking about this. Like, maybe it wouldn't fit the other way because of her hair. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Because she's got a lot of hair. Cause, but I was actually thinking the other day, I, I was like, oh, we, I wish we'd see Felix's bicycle again, because we'd, we'd only ever seen it in the first episode, because I particularly love his bike helmet with the fur line on the back, and we did! <laughs> but the helmet was on Helena, backward, and it was awesome. <laughs> actually, come to think of it, her her coat in the first season had the fur lining around mm-hmm. the around the face, so maybe that's, that's just she, the way she put it on. She thinks it's supposed to be around her face or something? Could be. Yeah. <laughs> or she just likes it that way. Helena <laughs> does what Helena does. <laughs> exactly. And that's why we love her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I thought it, the, there was gorgeous cinematography in the scene where she's looking at Art's goldfish. Mm-hmm. And he's just peppering her with questions and she's saying nothing. And then, you know, cut to like a scene later and he's made her, given her all this food and she just won't stop talking. <laughs> When all else fails, food bribery, which is what Felix told him to do. Mm-hmm. Like, try food. <laughs> try food. And it worked. It totally worked. But she was putting, like, 
mustard on was those sardines what i were believe those so in the can? sardines or anchovies or something yeah <laughs> gross you and everybody in my house was like ew <laughs> <laughs> no helena <laughs> but you know even though art was all i'm going to frisk you and handcuff you art a keep your eye on helena she's crafty don't turn your back on her Never turn your back on Helena is just good advice for everybody. Yes. If that's not the first rule of Clone Club, it should be. <laughs> it will be now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as I saw him talking on the phone with his back to Helena, I was like, no, no good can come from this. Oh, Helena. But, you know, kudos to Helena for not really harming Art. She just handcuffed him to a post. <laughs> Got you, Arthur. <laughs> She called him the best nicknames. Didn't she call him Artsy later on when she had the sniper rifle? Did she? I thought she did. I don't know. I'll have to go rewatch. <laughs> if she did, I missed it. I I think she did. It, but he, she called him a bunch of great nicknames besides Arthur and Art. I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Sarah finds poor Art handcuffed to the post and frees him. And then they get to team up again, kind of like they're, they're partners again. Except... Except with honesty this time. Yeah, yeah. And we get to see them go to Helena's little... Well, it's Maggie Chen's locker, they say. Yes. I thought it was nice that they brought the motorcycle back. Or that she was riding a motorcycle. It's not the same one, because she left the, the one in the first season outside the house with the little boy. If I remember correctly. I don't remember now. Okay. I think she did. So it's a different motorcycle, I'm pretty sure. Okay. But I like that they revisited her, her love of motorcycles. And that they say in there that she likes bikes, so. But also in that scene, we get the the reveal about the swan man, which is sort of interesting, since they actually addressed the, the myth of Lita last week. So Yeah, so why does Helena know him as the swan man? That's interesting. Since they basically say that it's Rachel's father, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, is, what does that mean? What do we think that means? The swan man thing? Yeah, I mean, just all of it. <laughs> That's a big question, Chris. That's a big question. <laughs> but yes, mostly I'm talking about about Rachel's dad. And, you know, so we see where Helena kind of had an alternate home. Maybe she had several nests, it seems like. She had sort of a nest in that old church that we see in the first season. And she had another little nest at Maggie Chen's, as well as on the boat with Tomas. So... We're seeing kind of Helena's little, little homes, kind of. Which just makes her more tragic. Mm-hmm. It's so I, sad. I did like all of the, like, candy wrappers that were next to where she, her little bed was made up. And then all of the disturbing doll heads. I was gonna say, and the creepy collection of doll heads. That's never a good sign. No. No. <laughs> Stephanie's laughing because I'm just shaking my head. She is, she is. And we get a revisit to like Helena as as assassin clone because she's been she's been out of commission in that regard for a, the first part of the the season. Obviously, she she killed Daniel last episode, but but before that, it was just a uh, sort of a strangling of of Gracie, mm -hmm. and not even like a deadly strangling, just a. I'm going to make you unconscious now kind of strangling. Because that distinction is apparently important now on this show. <laughs> We're but, at that point. <laughs> but, 
you know, we see the revival of the, you know, the sniper rifle comes back, the motorcycle comes back, the doll heads that she clips and sort of makes to look like her victims. Which is all stuff from the third episode of the first season, Mm -hmm. which is Helena's introduction. Yeah. So a lot of callbacks to elements we'd seen of her character before we really knew who she was even in the first season. And... Or was that the second episode? I think the doll head was in the second episode. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, because Katya gets killed at the end of the first. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I loved <laughs> when we got to see her up in her little sniper's nest that she makes across the street from, from Rachel's apartment, and she's trimming the hair <laughs> a little more off the back, Helena. Oh, of course, Rachel. <laughs> And then she puts the lipstick. First, she puts the lipstick on the doll, and then at on least herself. it looks like. And then she right puts it on herself, and then she kisses the doll, and it's unnerving. And has it on the sight of her rifle yes. as she's aiming, which she probably did with the doll head for Katya as well. Right, because they find it in her right. sniper's nest. In her nest, yeah, there. So, and how convenient it is that there was an abandoned building across the street from Rachel's super schmancy apartment. With, like, all glass windows that she doesn't care to close the blinds to or at all, even while she's... Anyway, we'll get to that later. And... <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's kind of... This episode is so weird, because I sat down and I was like, you know, that was a really enjoyable episode. Except for some really disturbing things that happened in it, but it was a really enjoyable episode. <laughs> I think we say that every week. To yeah. be fair, yeah, yeah. So it was or- especially true this week. Yeah, but- Orphan Black manages because, like, I probably laughed this episode more than I have at any other episode, mainly because of Helena having just fantastic lines <laughs> and delivery. And yet, there was still really disturbing elements to this episode. It's 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 a unique balance. I feel like that Orphan Black is is able to strike. And they've been doing that since they started, which is really... Impressive. It, it is. I've been pretty consistently impressed with their ability to pull that off. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do. No. Because it, you, you know, you have this worry that if you have humor, then the disturbing stuff, they'll think you're not taking it seriously and, and, and things like that. It's like, but they, that's very much not the case. Like, the things that are supposed to be disturbing and serious are... And the things that are supposed to be funny are, and you're not confused about the two. It's like life that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Why does TV not manage to do it when life does it all the damn time? Yeah. But, you know, the kind of the culminating scene of this episode was, was of course, when Sarah comes and stops Helena from shooting, from shooting Rachel. And I just thought that was a really phenomenal scene, as good as the shower scene was last week. So powerful, mm-hmm. that scene. And the whole Sarah once again stepping in front of a weapon, sort of in defense of... Felix, s- really. Right. Yeah. Now that you mention it, yes, exactly. Because it wasn't so much... I mean, not that she really wants Rachel to die, but that was her motivation for being there, was that she feared if Rachel was shot, she wouldn't get Felix back. Right. So. Because, yeah, I, I think... Sarah would maybe have mixed feelings on Rachel's demise otherwise. Yeah. Or... Maybe not so mixed. <laughs> I was going to say, they they might not be particularly strong mixed feelings, but I feel like Sarah wouldn't necessarily want Rachel to die, mm-hmm. but wouldn't necessarily stop her. Mm-hmm. It would be like, 
you know, Sarah as Allison and Helena as the garbage disposal. I feel like it would be one of those situations. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I think, a fair comparison. Okay. And we're laughing, but we're talking about murder. Yeah. But, you know, when Sarah is confessing to Helena that she couldn't tell anybody what had happened and what she had lost, you know, the fact that she killed Helena and she lost a sister. Oh, my heart. My heart. My heart. All of our hearts. Yeah. I'm just going to assume. And then, again, just wonderful technical work where they had them touch hands. Like, I, I, I just completely forget in that scene that it's the same actress playing both characters and there was so much that went into making them be able to touch hands like that so seamlessly. You just forget that in that scene because it's so well done. I have these weird moments through a lot of Orphan Black where I sort of switch between being really, really caught up in the moment and being like, how do they do that? that yeah. Like, that's really impressive. Yeah. I gotta say last week was more of a how did they do that moment in the shower when they hug, but this week I was so completely caught up that I didn't even, it took me a minute to realize like, oh, they touched hands there. That was, that took some work to get that to happen. And that's not to say that last week's scene wasn't as good as this week's scene or anything like that, but it was just like, last week's scene was just so, how did they do that? That, you know, I just kind of got caught up in that. Understandable. Yeah. But yeah, I just do this weird thing where I just, I kind of obsess about both at the same time or alternately or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think we saw this really great sort of tension in Sarah and Helena's relationship in this episode where, you know, Sarah's so clearly kind of scared of Helena and not sure, but I think she gets Helena in a way that not everybody does. I think she really understands what Helena went through. I don't know that Anybody else on the show really has as much understanding of that as Sarah does. I do feel like there's more sympathy from Sarah than anybody else towards Helena. And they touched on that a little bit last season. Towards the end of the season, I remember we were talking about the scene where she's talking to Mrs. S in the kitchen, Mrs. S's kitchen, about, I look at her and I see me, I think is the line. Mm -hmm. And we're sort of continuing with that whole thing where... As complicated as things are, I think there's still a lot of value for those characters in that relationship, even though they have it really... There's quite a lot of complications involved in this relationship, obviously. But I I like that that doesn't necessarily diminish the bond they feel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But yeah, because, you know, I thought it was super sweet at the end of that scene where they kind of, you know... I think Sarah puts her arm around Helena and they're walking out together and they walk past Art who just gives them this look like, these two are so weird. (laughs) I don't understand this at all. And it is weird. It's so bizarre. And then Helena puts her arm around Sarah too. In the whole, you know, Sarah calls her meathead. Yeah. Even though Helena says, you know, oh, don't call me this thing. It's very sibling-like of Sarah to have this sort of like, you know, playful mean name, quote unquote, mean name that she calls her. <laughs> Which is what I'd noticed some people were talking about that when she calls her meathead at the end of the first season that, you know, is there anything more sibling-like that she could have said mm-hmm. to Helena in that moment? Because no, no, there's not. No. And yeah, she calls her that again at the end of this episode and... And clearly an affectionate way. And Helena's like, like I, I thought I, or I told you not to call me that. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, I, I, last season was so much about Helena as this threat to Sarah. And if Sarah would be able to kind of eliminate the threat, even though she felt this increasing bond with Helena and after, even after knowing they were twin sisters. And so they got to resolve that by having Sarah shoot her. But having, now having Helena come back, I don't feel like they're going to repeat that storyline. I think we very much see Helena transitioning to no longer being a threat to the clones. She's still a very, like, unpredictable, volatile character, but I feel, feel like she has a very different role this season. Right. And I think that point is really hit on the head at the end of the episode when Sarah confronts Leaky and she tells him, you know, if you basically, if you cross us, I'll sick Helena on you, is what she tells him. And yeah, I totally believe she would. And I believe Helena would not be uh, remotely merciful. No, no. Because it's Helena. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't know fully if Helena has accepted that she's a clone necessarily. She seems to definitely like the idea of being sisters with, with Sarah. And having a niece. Yeah, and having a niece. Did but. you notice in the creepy blood paintings at the opening of the episode, one of the paintings was two women holding the hands of a daughter? Or I a didn't see that. Little girl. Oh, yeah. wow. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But, but I think we do see, especially Sarah working on sort of transitioning her thinking about the clones. Like she refers to at the beginning of the, of the episode, she's, you know, Felix is my brother, which means he's one of our sisters. What did she say? It's something like that. Something yeah. like that. And, you know, then Elena refers to Felix's brother, Sistra, later on in the episode. So definitely sort of try, you see, I think we see Sarah trying to reprogram Helena a little bit to kind of recognizing the other clones as sisters, the way that she thinks of Sarah as her sister. Yes. And I'm glad that's happening, because obviously that needed to happen, because as it stood, the only person who was really safe from Helena was Sarah. And of course- And she even got choked by I was going chain. to say, mind you, Helena's version of safe involves a chain around the neck, but- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Helena. Oh, Helena. <laughs> we love you, you weirdo, you violent weirdo. I love that this is the way that almost everybody always talks about Helena- in this sort of, like, affectionate kind of, uh, you know, oh, you little murderous psychopath. You're so cute. <laughs> we like you so much. Please don't hurt us. <laughs> I want to give you a hug, but I think you might hurt me. Do you have any sharp objects on you before I come within arm's reach? <laughs> Clearly, I'm just giddy from the fact that she's not with the Prolethean farmers anymore. Yeah. Speaking of the Prolethean farmers... Segway. Segway. They just are so disturbing. They talk about Tomas having old ways. Like, theirs are so much better. With their mouth sewing. Oh, that was so disturbing. Everybody everybody cringed at that. Mm -hmm. And I could not watch them take out the the stitches. Yeah, I noticed. There was a I don't, lot I, of I think there was a lot of cringing, like hardcore cringing going on to my right during that scene. Yeah. We I I don't think any of us besides you could look could look at it the entire way through. We were all like, ugh, ugh. It was pretty horrific, and I'm not sure why I managed to watch it. Probably many, many seasons of ER, Grey's Anatomy, and The X Files. See, I watched Grey's Anatomy, but I could not watch that. They did a similar thing in an episode of X Files where okay. they had somebody's mouth and eyes. So, Chad. Anyway, 
<laughs> Not that anybody wants to hear about that because <laughs> it is as gruesome as it sounds. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I thought that was an interesting move, though, because we've had Grace being a very antagonistic figure because of her opinions of Helena. But I did feel sorry for her in this episode for having her mouth stitched up. I mean, hello, a little bit extreme on the punishment there, folks. <clears throat> kind of abusive. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we got kind of this sweet scene between her and Mark. So, and, you know, we have these two characters who've been very antagonistic, and I thought this episode really started to humanize them a bit more. I couldn't tell if it was sweet or if it was still kind of creepy. Between her and Mark? Yes. Oh, okay, fair enough. She was in a cell and had her mouth sewn shut, and he's kind of flirting with her. It seemed weird to me, was all. Well, definitely weird, but I feel I thought he was genuine. And yeah, was- I, I mean, I didn't think it wasn't genuine, but it was just... I still have hostile feelings towards all of them, apparently. Oh, I do, too. I do, too. But, you know, baby steps. <laughs> I'm True. not saying we're going True. to come to love the farming Proletheans by the end oh, no. of the season. It's just not going to happen. But, you know, it's it's just good writing to not have your, your villains be completely arch and have no humanity to them. Oh, no, so. I totally agree. And I think we did maybe touch on this a little bit last week. I think it was in there. I, I talked about... I talked some about how really the fact that we saw Helena, who was the villain last season, we saw the storyline where she was raised in an environment that basically forced that upon her. And I think I said something about maybe the same thing being true for Gracie. Did I say that? I don't remember that. Okay. But it's possible. I think it's a good point, though. And we also learn in this in this episode that they were intending to implant the the eggs that they fertilized or the egg that they fertilized in Helena for for to use her as a surrogate or gestation or it's not really a surrogate I don't know quite the right word because it's her eggs but so you they needed her as an incubator as an incubator is what yeah. they needed which explains why they were trying so hard to find her or to get her back at the end of last episode mm-hmm. or in the middle of last episode I guess yeah. really because I thought they were more interested in eggs, you know, other potential fertile fertile eggs, but sounds like they, they also had plans to use her as an incubator. Does not make me like them anymore. I mean, makes me like them less, in fact. Every time, less and less. Every time we see them, less and less, I like them. Every not time that I, I ever particularly like them. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> They've always been terrible. Yeah, every time I see Henrik, I, I death glare at him. Do you want to punch him in the face, Chris? I do want to punch him in the face. <laughs> I so very badly want to punch him in the face. I, yeah, that you mentioned. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Stephanie's laughing because I have a thing where when I get really upset about something, I say I want to punch it in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I think you even said that in an episode recently about somebody. Like, I, I, just, I just want to punch him in the face. <laughs> I would not be surprised. <laughs> I'm not actually a violent person. She's not. But- I'm all talk. <laughs> I once said I wanted to punch a chair in the face, but anyway. (laughs) This squeaky chair, I want to punch it in the face. (laughs) But we we also see in regards to, you know, now that Helena is missing, they, you know, they tell Gracie if they, if she doesn't help them get Helena back, then she is going to be forced to be the incubator. To be the incubator. And, and Bob had mentioned that as a, as a possibility. And a lot of people in Clone Club, I think, were, were suspecting that it might be going that route. Bob, who emailed us. Bob, who emailed us. Thank you. 
I think we mentioned it in last week's episode. Yeah. But yeah, Prolethean farmers don't like you at all. Punch them all in the face. <laughs> they're interesting. I will give them that. Like, they're interesting, but I hate them. <laughs> yes. Again, another thing that Orphan Black like does really well. well. Yeah. So speaking of other disturbing things that happen in this episode, let's talk about Rachel and Paul. Oh. Upsetting. Upsetting. So we haven't had Paul for three episodes, and man, does he have a, a re-entry in this episode into into Orphan Blackland, and I just don't know what to think about Paul. I think a lot of things about Paul, because it starts out basically, and they, they address this, because they offer him Daniel's former position, is basically what it is. And Paul responds with something along the lines of, are you offering me this job, or are you reminding me I don't have a choice? Mm-hmm. And I'm glad they put that line in there. Me too. And I think it was very intentionally put in there. Yes. Because of what happens later. Because of what happens later. And uh, it's one of those things, there's that scene, he's talking to Rachel, and Rachel sort of gives him a little bit of an ultimatum, and he says, what do you want me to do? And I tweeted it at that commercial break, damn it, Paul! And it's one of those things, I realize Paul has no choice. But I'm still upset about it. But again, he has no choice, so I feel bad for being upset at him <laughs> for going along with the things. Anyway, it turns out what Rachel wanted Paul to do was to go visit Felix and frame Felix for murder. The murder that Daniel had committed. Strategically, this is actually a pretty good plan. She knows Sarah's weaknesses, and she's exploiting them big time. And it's also vengeance for Daniel. Daniel's death. Mm-hmm. All wrapped in there, since it's Daniel who's the one who killed the cop. So, I'll give you this, Rachel. That's a good plan. Rachel's damn smart, but... But she's also evil, I think. But she's also a horrible person. At least a little bit. Anyway. And that was just such a hard scene to watch, where Paul forces Felix to hold the gun. You know, the... Just the terror that Felix is going through, not sure if Paul's going to shoot him or what is, what's going to happen. And it was, it was really rough to see a character that we all love, like everybody loves Felix, to see him be, being treated in that way. Yes. Not only did Rachel get Sarah, Rachel got us all. Damn it, Rachel. I should have tweeted, damn it, Rachel. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I did like that they had the little Orphan Black insider thing in there where Dylan Bruce was talking about how he and Jordan had to, like, hug it out after the scene. Afterwards, yeah. I can imagine that would have been a really tough scene to shoot. Yeah. Because they seem to really like each other. Yes. Even though their characters maybe don't so much. Right, exactly. That is the nice thing about the cast. The cast seems pretty close. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, we see, and then later in the episode, Paul follows Leaky to his meeting with Sarah, where Sarah offers him swan man for Felix, essentially trying to go around Rachel. And so it's just like, I don't know what to think about Paul. Like, where do his loyalties really lie? Obviously, he's he's doing what Rachel is telling him to do right now. D- but does he have any sort of plan to thwart the system in some way? I'm just not sure. Like, I want, I really do want to, I want to trust Paul because I know that this is a, he's been blackmailed into this position. And I and I kind of want him to get his his comeuppance on the institute, but does he actually have that intention? I don't know. 
But then there's the thing of, well, what is it exactly, like, exactly that they're holding over Paul? Because he did something that was not good mm-hmm. that they're holding over him. So I have a lot of questions about Paul, just mm-hmm. in general. I feel bad for the guy, but yeah, there's there are a lot of questions here. And the other thing about Paul is they spent the end of last season telling us that Paul was falling in love with Sarah. Where do they stand now? I'm really, really curious about this because Sarah, I think for all intents and purposes, has sort of cut herself off emotionally from Paul. Since Paul, as far as she can tell, is with the enemy. Whether he wants to be or not, yeah. Exactly. I think she knows that he still isn't totally on their side, you know, ideologically, since he let her go when she was there at the end of the first episode this season. But I'm just, I'm curious where Paul is mentally Mm -hmm. in terms of that relationship. Yeah, for sure. Me too. So Rachel, this episode, clearly on the warpath because of, of Daniel's death, presumably, or just the fact that Sarah's being such a, you know, thorn in her side and really using Paul as an instrument to execute these horrible things. And we, we do get, a, like, confirmation of things that we'd been suspecting about Rachel in this episode. She does talk about having been raised self-aware, but she is still a clone, so she's still monitored, and data is collected about her well-being. And she also mentions that she is higher up in the organization than Linky is because she Linky gets too attached to the subjects or has the tendency to get too attached to the subjects, and she doesn't. Which I believe. I believe her, too. But and but we I think we also really though see Rachel's perhaps conflict about the fact that she is a clone that had been created by this organization and she has power in this organization and I think that's partially why we see the scene between her and Paul the very disturbing you know kind of dominating sex scene between the two of them. I think it's maybe partially psychologically out of out of that. You know, she ostensibly has this control in the organization, but at the same time, she doesn't. She's still a clone. She's still a subject. Mm-hmm. But we see her using her power to dominate Paul. Right. Who does not have power in this situation. Right. At all, which makes it all very icky. Yeah. And we, upsetting. We got, we got a, a tweet... Mm-hmm. From somebody who was was saying, you know, something happened in this episode that you need to talk about. And, you know, I, I think people, or maybe after the scene, maybe you're thinking, did we just see a, a sexual assault happen on Orphan Black? And I would say yes. Yes, we did. Yeah, I agree. We did. Because, again, the power imbalance there is so massive that there's no consent involved in that situation. Paul has no ability to consent, basically, right? No, I don't think so. Nor did Rachel really care that he did. Right. That's what I'm yeah, sort of getting at. That, yeah. Because uh. the entire time she's just telling him, do this, do this, do this, do this. She made very clear from the beginning, even though you are my monitor, you work for me. Yep. And... I know that there are some people who who will might disagree because they'll say, you know, Paul was aroused, et cetera, et cetera. That really doesn't matter. 
Paul had no power in the situation really to say no and never really gave his consent. So in my mind, yes, they did have, have Rachel sexually assault Paul. Yep. So I was really thinking maybe I would get to like Rachel. Maybe. Maybe they would humanize her. This really went the opposite direction now, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's going to take some doing to uh, undo the damage to Rachel's character or, you know, or opinions of Rachel's character is what I'm trying to say here. Because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I guess I will also say probably the fact that Sarah had an attachment to Paul. Paul was sort of Sarah's boyfriend is probably not really boyfriend, but, you know, romantic interest. Romantic interest. That's probably another reason why she needed to control him in the way that she did because of her kind of fixation on Sarah and the fact that Sarah's being keeps eluding her grasp. Right. It is one of those things, like, psychologically, I can see where she's coming from. Not that that excuses No, exactly. Like, I behavior. understand psych we psychologically why she does it. Clarify here. Right. But that does not excuse what she did. Exactly. By any means. Because, again, it is the whole thing of, I think, not having control over yourself, essentially, right? I mean, the whole thing is she's been self-aware since she was a kid. So she knows that they created her. She knows, probably, I would assume, she knows that they own her, own her quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, one could understand how that would create some uh, psychological messiness. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a lot, I think, that they're addressing with this scene mm -hmm. and, in regards to how this experiment is using these women. And it's very complicated and, yeah, and disturbing. So let's move on to something adorable. Let's talk about Cosima and Delphine. Just to give everybody, like, emotional whiplash? Is that what you're trying to do? Well, so we end on a more pleasant note. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm I'm all for that. Because, I mean, well, they're still sad going on with Cosima and Delphine, right? Because Cosima's sick. Yes. She's sick, Delphine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing and trying not to cry. I know. I know. But... We see them kind of both kind of be taken into, seemingly taken into Leaky's confidence. confidence in a way and kind of have that reciprocated. I'm still not sure if we can 100% trust Leaky. Yeah, I'm not either. But I am glad that it seems like he's giving her a potentially promising treatment for the respiratory illness. I'm if glad that's what it is. <laughs> I'm glad about that, but at the same time, I kept thinking during the episode, so basically Cosima is your guinea pig, which is upsetting in a whole new way. Mm -hmm. But who else are they going to... No, I know, but... Because they're the only three clones that showed symptoms so far, and the other two are no longer alive, so... And now we're all crying again. <laughs> Not Cosima. I, I know. I think I got at least one or two tweets this week. They can't kill Cosima. I don't think they are. I don't think they are either. But I don't think this stem cell treatment is going to be it. I, th I still really believe that Kira somehow is going to be key to curing the clones of their respiratory problems. Probably true. Oh. <laughs> My emotions. <laughs> but, and, and then Leaky also reveals... Again, we're not sure if we can trust him, but he says that the original genome has actually been lost in the in the lab explosion that supposedly killed Rachel's parents, though apparently not her father, at least. 
Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. So, so that's a possible new bit of information we got. Or it's more lies. Who knows? <laughs> Time will tell. Yes. Yeah, but I thought this was an interesting episode for Leaky. It was. This I is think probably we've... the most epi- interesting storyline he's gotten in a while. I was going to say, I think this is the best sense we've ever gotten of Leaky. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of interesting that there seems to be some sort of power play going on between him and Rachel. Right. Some sort of... Well, I mean, obviously, there'd been some sort of dynamic there already, but it's sort of interesting to see that, or see more of that, rather. So, Cosima and Delphine, I thought we had uh, some real, you know, kind of adorable relationshipy stuff going on this episode. I, I thought it was really sweet when they were caught in Leaky's office where they both tried to protect each other. Yes. Aw. <laughs> they were so sort of weirdly coupley in that moment. It was like, oh, no, I, it's my fault. I wanted to see the original genome. No, 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 no. It wasn't her. <laughs> and then there was also, I thought, it, well, I, I would say... It was cute, but I'm also not entirely sure if Delphine was kidding when they were talking to Scott and he asked Cosima why he couldn't be involved in the super sensitive stuff. And when Cosima says, you know, Delphine, tell Scott why he can't be involved. And she says, we would have to kill your family. But she says it very seriously. <laughs> I hope she's joking. But but part of me was like, um, we've seen Del- we've seen not Delphine, but we've seen Dyad be very ruthless. So maybe she's not kidding. I I choose to believe that Delphine was kidding, you know, in in that way that it's a joke, but there's an element of truth to it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Again, not Delphine, but Dyad. Right. And then I also really liked when they were kind of joking about after the treatment was was happening and Cosima says, you know, oh, if my limb, you know, my arm falls off, then we'll know. And then Delphine's like, or if you grow another limb, I thought that was very cute, too. Uh, It's that whole laugh. So you don't cry kind of thing. But it was cute. Yeah. And let's talk about that scene for a second. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think for, for you know, for Science Girlfriend slash Cofeen Shippers, that was a kind of a lovely little montage that we got there the, with where Leaky was giving the, the shot. And what's so interesting to me is that they filmed that like a love scene, which is sort of extra interesting given that we had the sex scene, the icky, icky sex scene between Rachel and Paul directly before that. So especially in contrast, like it's really noticeably a quote unquote love scene. Right. Cause it's, we had a, a sex scene without love or really any type of care at all. And then we have this love scene without sex. Cause we get these really, really close intimate shots of Cosima and Delphine. And there's just so much intimacy between the two of them in, in those particular moments, I thought. But then of course they have that They've got the juxtaposition between the shots of Cosima or like parts of Cosima's body with like Delphine, you know, stroking her shoulder or kissing her cheek. But they've intercut it with shots of like gloved hands grabbing cotton swabs and sterilizing the area and injecting the, was it subdermal or no, interdermal test. And I, and I think the point of that. Because I, I know it might seem, I think I, we did get an email from somebody who said it seemed weird that they had Leaky cut into that scene. And I think the point the show is trying to make with having him intercut into these really intimate shots of Delphine and Cosima is just a reminder of the presence of Dyad in their relationship and kind of how, how that is ever hovering over them. 
it is all sort of intertwined in the relationship. I mean, it's it's so complicated, the situation really everybody in the show is in, but this particular relationship is so complicated because it is something that really started because of Dyad's involvement. Because Delphine wouldn't have been there if she wasn't sent to be Cosima's monitor, and so they might not have even ever met, and it's complicated. And I think of the relationships that we've seen so far with the clones and somebody who came from from Dyad, the show really is setting Cosima and Delphine up to really be the one that we really root for, I think, as the audience. I feel like they really want the audience at this point to consider Delphine to be somebody who really loves and cares about Cosima. And I think they do want us to root for this relationship. But at the same time, we can't forget the fact that their relationship is still really complicated. And I think we talked about this a little bit before, but the show has set up the science girlfriends, so to speak, as the essentially the most shippable relationship on the show, right? I mean... For sure. It's the most traditional kind of romance on the show. Yes. They did get the cute rom-com-y kind of meet-cute situation and everything, so... Mm-hmm. Beyond the fact that we get a reminder of sort of Dyad's presence in their relationship, there's also sort of that almost, it was, it made me a little sad actually moment where at, at the end of, after Leaky gives Kasima the shot, where Kasima says, you know, in light of what you told us, Dr. Leaky, we have a proposition for you. And Delphine says, we do. And then Kasima clarifies to her, no, not us, us, meaning the clones. So we also get this reminder that Kasima is part of this collective us, this relationship that does not include Delphine, that Delphine can't really understand. Or, or, or even a reminder of the fact that Delphine doesn't fully know how much Cosima has contact with these other clones, because as we saw in the, the autopsy scene, you know, Cosima hides the fact that she's talking to Allison. So it, it was kind of a reminder of that for, for me as well, is just the fact that, you know, Cosima is still kind of being secretive with Delphine, even though they are sort of trying to engage in this more intimate relationship. There is also the added layer of Cosima saying us and sort of, she just kind of nods a little bit when she says us to clarify to Leaky. In my mind, it kind of harkens back to the whole just one, I'm a few kind of thing. Because she's alone there, but she's talking, or speaking collectively, or speaking for the clones collectively, it would seem. Yeah, but and it seems like Sarah gave her permission to reveal that she was still in contact with Sarah. Now I'm kind of wondering, jumping back to Leaky just for a moment, I'm kind of wondering if Leaky might have been the one who leaked the test results to Delphine. It's possible. Because it's, it's super convenient that Rachel said, no, you can't give Cosima this treatment. And then, oops, Delphine gets some papers intended for Leaky that reveals that this treatment's going on. And then Leaky happens to show up at his office exactly right after they break into it. Right. Like maybe he may not have, he might not have been able to anticipate they try to try to sneak into his office, but I think he would feel pretty confident that they would maybe approach him in some way about these, these tests. This show has made us so suspicious. I know, I know. <laughs> so hopefully Leaky has the best of intentions in this, in this intradermal test. And is not trying to, you know, pull a fast one. Okay, so here's a question for you. At this point, who is more paranoid, Allison or Clone Club? <laughs> that, I don't know. 
I, I feel like I'm more paranoid than Allison is at this point, personally. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Poor Allison. So Colin, Colin came back. <laughs> Stephanie's really excited. I'm really excited. You probably heard the sound she made <laughs> when he appeared on screen. <laughs> it was pretty loud. I think I said woohoo, but I it was it was an expression of glee because I love Colin. And I was so happy to see him back. And kudos to Orphan Black for having some boy-on-boy sexy times happening on screen. That was quite quite the sex scene. Yeah. Like, I, I, I must admit, it was kind of a little strange for me last season that they were, you know, a very, like, queer, positive, and inclusive show. But when it came to sort of the the love interests, you know, Sarah and Paul get these several... Really naked Really scenes. naked scenes. And then when it came to Felix and Colin and then Delphine and Cosima, it's like smoochies, but then aftermath. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of of actual sex scene part to it. But they they went for it. They really did. And poor Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Cops busting in on him, hands covered in lube. Poor Colin. Can somebody get him a towel? I, yeah. <laughs> Just a towel. Just it just needs a towel. <laughs> but no, I loved I loved that whole sequence set to Tears for Fears <laughs> with with Felix getting his bed made and trying on a bunch of clothes and yeah. It was fantastic. <laughs> but I hope that doesn't scare off Colin. Oh, poor Colin. Yeah. He's hasn't he been through enough? Yeah. We're laughing so hard. The scene ends with Felix getting arrested. <laughs> and I also hope that means we, it's, I hope that doesn't mean we don't see Felix for a couple episodes because I love Felix. We can't have an episode without Felix. I know. Maybe Art will get reinstated and then he can go visit Felix in jail since he's a cop. I did really like that scene where Sarah was ca- t- calling Art about Felix. And Art was, like, really comforting her and trying to say, you know, I can help you with this, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm really liking, I'm really liking Art this season. He's getting some good stuff. Hear that, people? I'm really liking Art this season. <laughs> I'm, like, sitting here trying not to, like, rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify, I've never disliked Art. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. But yes. They do have him more firmly on the clone side. Yeah. Now that he knows there are clones. Yeah. I think that's always been part of the problem is Art knew something was going on, but he didn't know what was going on and maybe wasn't sure how to play it before. But yeah. But uh, but yeah, poor, poor, poor Colin. I hope that's not the last we've seen of him. Felix needs some sexy times, just like everybody else. Poor Colin couldn't even button his shirt back up. I know. I know. Because nobody got him a towel. <laughs> But yeah, so again, I just really enjoyed this episode. I'd, I'd been saying I really wanted the clone storylines to intersect again, and we got, you know, big Helena-Sarah storyline overlap this episode, so that made me really happy. Which it, is so great. Yeah. And Helena interacting with Felix, uh-huh. which, in case you can tell, we really liked. And art, yeah. It was great. And no Alice in this episode, sadness, but it's okay. She's in rehab, taking care of herself, hopefully. I sure hope so. Yeah. I worry about Allison, you know. I worry about them all. We worry about them all. <laughs> we take our fictional things very seriously. 
But I'm less worried this week. I mean, we do have sort yes. of Sarah and Helena driving off to go find Swan Man, apparently, but I feel like most of our clones are kind of in an okay place right now, which makes me happy. But it's okay, because Helena's got lots of leg room, leg room. <laughs> on the dash, <laughs> wearing mismatched socks. She's great. So we got an interesting email from, and I'm sorry, I don't know how to say your name properly, Katrin? Katrine? C-A-I-T-R-I-N? They, they actually sent us a really lengthy email. One of the things they say is, more info about the original genome is great. I like the idea that it's something that's unavailable. It seemed like something that could be too easily used as a plot contrivance. I also hope this means that all the questions and theories about the original are kind of put to rest. It seems like the original was something a lot of people were focusing on, but it wasn't ever something I wanted to see. And that's a good point. We didn't really talk about the fact that it seems like Leaky is saying their original genome was synthesized that they there was no original woman that they pulled the DNA from that they synthesized the DNA for the clones. And it was sort of intriguing the way he phrased it to Cosima that or, or the way he and Cosima were discussing it was that they had lost the map so that the key sequences or something that made the clones existences possible that those were they they lost the map to them is sort of the way they phrase it. And then we got an email from Davia. Davia, I apologize. Please remind us how to say your name correctly. We were trying to find where where we'd said it before so we could figure out the correct way, and we couldn't. So please let us know which way to say it, and we'll write it down on like a post-it note this time. Yeah. Anybody who sends emails, please let us know how to pronounce your name. <laughs> and your preferred gender pronouns would be great, too. <laughs> Davia said, these Prolethean women are scary. I don't know to be sor- if to be sorry for them or mad at them. Gracie only tried to kill Helena because she was a threat to the community, like coyotes. They sewed her mouth shut. Now if she doesn't cooperate, she may have to carry the coyote, i.e. Helena's baby. And I really am so fascinated by how the farming Prolethean storyline is playing out. Because I, I, last season, they with Helena, they really hinted at how religion is used to manipulate people and they're just going for it even more this season with with the farming prolethians and i i know we're going to probably do an episode talking about that more during the hiatus and finally we got an email from amber f and amber said she's in this quite a long email but the the part that i probably liked the best was she said, I really hope Sarah isn't angry at Cosima for hiding her illness. I would rather see Sarah running to Cosima where she takes her in her arms and they do a slow motion Sestra hug twirl. And yes, I agree. We, we, we see that Sarah learns that Cosima is ill this week and she seems to be taken aback by it. And I, I'm very curious to see how what's going to happen when Sarah confronts Cosima with the fact that she knows is Sarah going to maybe not tell Cosima that she knows for a time because Cosima didn't tell her. I, I would rather Sarah just say, I know you're sick. Why didn't you tell me I wanted to be there to support you and give her a nice hug? A, a slow motion Sestra hug, hug twirl would be lovely, though probably that would take about 17 weeks to shoot because of the complicatedness. <laughs> but maybe I rock. Maybe we will see. That'd be fantastic. Hello, Tatiana is everyone. This is Sally. There is so much that we could talk about from episode five of season two of Orphan Black. We could talk about the creepy Prolethean farmers. 
and how they're going to force and manipulate Gracie into carrying Helena's child after they've sewed her mouth shut. Or we could talk about Helena and Sarah reconciling, and they're totally sustras now, and that would be awesome. But what I actually want to talk about is how fabulous the scene between Felix and Colin was. I was thrilled, and not just because I was watching the show with my in-laws. It wasn't awkward at all. But, I mean, what an awesome portrayal of a male couple and a male relationship on TV. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that on television. But even if you, like, put to the side that it was groundbreaking and that you've never seen anything like it before, it was so sweet. And I think I'm probably channeling whatever Stephanie's going to say. Like, it's just Felix clearly is all about Colin and likes him so much. And, oh, they were so sweet when they were kissing and kind of just going around the room. And then, I mean, the lube was hilarious. And then, of course, they were interrupted. I hope those two can find their way back to each other. Hey, guys. Oh, girls, I'm sorry. I don't know if you're listening to me. But uh, I just wanted to say that I'm Emilia, I'm from Argentina, and I'm a really big fan of your podcast. I listen to each and every one of them, so I don't know if this message qualifies as a question more than just um, a way of saying keep them coming. And I really miss Alison in this episode, and I love Helena, which I'm sure... Everyone will agree on that. And thank you, guys. I just wanted to say that I'm from Argentina. There's an old fan black freak that is listening to you. So thank you. So just to remind people again, a little housekeeping note. Uh, just a reminder, I am switching our feed from FeedBurner over to Libsyn. So if you're using a podcatcher of some kind, like Pocket Cast or Beyond Pod, especially, I mean, I think iTunes users should be fine, but if you're using a podcatcher where you have to really enter in the address of our feed, if you experience any type of blip, go ahead, go to our website, tatianaiseveryone.com slash subscribe and resubscribe to the podcast. You can go ahead and do it now if you're worried about it, but if you experience any type of blip, go ahead and try resubscribing to the podcast and it should be fine. Again, if it works the way it's supposed to work, everything should be okay, but you never know. And I want to remind everybody that they can call us, leave us a voicemail message on our website, TatianaIsEveryone.com. On the right-hand side of the page, there's a tab that says Send Voicemail. You can click that, leave us a message uh, up to a minute and a half long. We want to hear what you think of the episodes. We'll include them in our episode. And then everybody who listens to us can listen to you and your feelings, because I know you have them. Because, we know you have them. Come on. <laughs> because don't we all? <laughs> So many feelings about the show. But thank you to people who emailed us, Bob, Colby, Dan. Thank you for sending us email feedback. We love to get that as well. You can send that to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. And this week, when Colin finally gets his towel, it will be played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.